This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void or prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. We are welcoming into a victory Monday here as Miami Dolphin fans. This is the Jake and Josh show brought to you by Finsider Radio. I am Jake Mendel. Josh Houts, he is on mute at the moment, but he will be joining us in just a second. Before we get rolling, you guys are only have a couple more opportunities to get yourself into the Solomon Kinley jersey giveaway that we have planned. The simplest, easiest, fastest giveaway you could possibly get into Simply hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to a podcast, whether it's Spotify, whether it's iTunes. And if it is possible, leave a review. Send us a screenshot of that review that you have left on wherever you listen to your podcast. You can send that to us on Twitter, Carrier Pigeon, whatever it may be. But if you think Twitter is the easiest way, at jmendel94 for myself, at Houts, H-O-U-T-Z for Joshua. Josh, welcome in, buddy. We got five straight wins. What what the hell's going on? How is this happening? This is this is crazy. I mean, you're sitting here watching this game, and you just feel like, is this going to be that letdown? Is is something going to happen where the the Chargers overcome this? And and it didn't. The Dolphins again on all three phases. We talked about how special the special teams unit was. They came through. The tongue of Iloa Herbert Bowl. Neither of these guys got over 200 yards passing, but it, it was fun to watch. And what is going on? Dolphins are six and three. That miraculous DeAndre Hopkins catch now has them a half game out of first place. Uh, this is an awesome season, and I can't wait to see where you know where this takes us. You know, with our recap shows, we like to kind of just go off the cuff a little bit and, and just talk about the win in general without getting too directional one way or another because I think that's what makes this so much fun of the five-game winning streak is we're able to kind of just talk with what's on our minds. And Josh, you know, we want to sit here, and I'm ready to say this isn't the same old Dolphins, but I have the perfect, perfect example of just why this team isn't letting us forget uh, the issues of years past. The score was 14-0, and the Dolphins were driving up the field again to score for the third straight time. And I, I looked over at my dad, and I said to him, I'm like, there's, there's no way we're this good, right? Like, this, there's no way it's this easy. There's no way we're going to go 6-3. and three. We're just going to march all over the Chargers in a game that, despite 
both teams having uh, being on different ends of the spectrum. You know, the Chargers coming in at two and six, the Dolphins at five and three, obviously trending in the different directions. But we thought this would still be some sort of a fight. The Dolphins were going in for their third straight touchdown. And I'm laughing because it's third down completions. Tua is escaping pressure and just finding open guys. The defense is having its way. Special teams, I mean, we can't say enough about them. But then in the most Dolphins fashion, as I'm chuckling, as the Dolphins are about to go 21 up 21 to nothing, there's the fumble. There's the fumble. The Chargers get right back into the game. But, I mean, obviously it didn't change the the end result, which is great. But, I mean, I, I had to chuckle at the fact that the second I'm sitting there thinking, hey, we finally turned that corner. Hey, the Miami Dolphins are this brand-new football team, which, as we're going to talk about, I'm sure they are. But they just had to leave that little bit of uh, doubt in the back of my mind telling me that, don't worry, we'll give you this fumble just to make you remember that the Dolphins are still the Dolphins. Yeah, and I mean, it, it was, I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I don't know if you saw Ted Karras at the end of the game. He said that it was something with the moisture and his arm sleeves were a little wet. And that's what he said that those fumbles, he credited that towards that. But he did say, you know, it, it felt so, it was terrible to look at those guys in the eyes and know that you made that mistake. Because let's be honest, that is where this game changed. And we didn't even talk yeah. about the first, you know, that blocked punt to start the game oh, by Andrew don't Van Don't you worry, don't you I mean, that, that's, that's incredible. But I don't know about you, but my, my uh, you know, my heart was beating out of my chest and I, I was feeling sick to my stomach watching Tua chase the defender down and try to make that tackle because it just seemed like that play was never going to end. But it was. It was the same old Dolphins. They seemed that they overcame that. We know Xavier Howard, again, another interception. This defense, it, it's just incredible to see the way they're getting pressure up front. And we mentioned Christian Wilkins and, you know, him being out of this game. And we did miss him. But Zach Steeler stepped up big. Emmanuel Agba stepped up big. Everybody Benito just Jones played. had a big Benito tackle. Jo Benito Jones and Strobridge, you know, he was out there flashing. It's just a group effort, and they play for one another, and it's that next man up mentality, and it was just awesome to see. And I know we're going to talk about it, but it was a total team win on all three phases. I mean, when one team, you know, was flundering, and we know that that offense needs to play much better in the second half. I mean, I'm, I'm spitballing here. <laughs> this is what we love about these podcasts. We're just sitting here, just going off the chest. But um, you know, it'll be interesting to see the way the Dolphins try to get rid of that that same old way and that same old mentality and transform into that new mentality of being those winners and being those team that team that is expected to win those games as we've seen in these last few weeks and that's why I have to chuckle because that's what the Dolphins are kind of going through right now the fact that you talk about last week there was Byron Jones an interception went through his hands he let up another big completion to Christian Kirk for a touchdown and those are the type of games in past years you know you'd be a little frustrated like we're, we lost because of these games and you look at that fumble I mean the announcers were talking about it. The momentum started to shift a little bit. But, you know, you had Tua running back there doing whatever he could to bring that defender to the ground. I didn't write down his name. But that's kind of where you get the feeling that, hey, maybe this is just a team that is playing winning football. And, Josh, you know, we always do this choose-your-own-adventure. And I do want to start on the defensive end because in a league like the NFL, I say this every week, you want to get really excited or, or really down on players because you have a whole week to really stew or, or you know, really dive into the film. And and two guys, and we'll talk about one of them later, but Jakeem Grant and Nick Needham are two guys I think we are ready to punt onto the streets after week one, even three or four weeks into the season. But, I mean, Nick Needham is out here balling out like an absolute stud. He had a pass defense on uh, Keenan Allen that came on a third down, which is huge. He had a sack on the first drive of the game to really fluster Justin Herbert. He had four tackles on the day, and you look at what he's doing. 
we all kind of had this idea of, all right, it was Byron Jones, Xavier Howard, one and two, obviously so, but then you have Noah Igbenogany and Nick Needham, these guys who could really compete for that third cornerback job. Nick Needham didn't even play a snap on Sunday, Josh. Nick, or excuse me, Nick Noah Igbenogany didn't even play a snap on Sunday. You look at what this defense is doing, and you look at just the development, the growth, and I mean, that's not calling Noah Igbenogany a bust. If you have... Byron Jones shutting down Mike Williams. If you have Xavier Howard getting his, what, fifth interception in six games, and then Igbenogany is still learning from all these guys because, God forbid, he can't play as well as Nick Needham, who had a sack and a pass defense on Keelan Allen and four tackles. The depth is there. The the talent is there. This defense is really starting to look at why Stephen Ross really decided Brian Flores is the guy that can lead this team. It wasn't all just, hey, that Rams game was awesome. You see a full game plan from the first game to the first draft to the second draft to the second season. The Dolphins have a plan, and it is certainly starting to work out. Yeah, it absolutely is. And you mentioned Nick Needham, and you you were waiting for someone to step up and fill that slot yep. cornerback spot. And you've seen him, and hat tip to C.K. Parrott here for saying, you know, you could look at the five best slot receivers in the NFL – and Nick Needham, I mean, he shut down Keenan Allen. He shut down Cooper Cup, who, you know, those are two guys that many people would have in their top five. He's playing great football, and that allows those other guys to be dominant on the outside physical. Brandon Jones played 95% of snaps. we got to talk about that. But, you know, we continue to talk about the secondary and how when they do their job, that allows those guys up front. And we're seeing Emmanuel Agba, another game, another sack. This is now uh, six games in a row with a full sack. He actually is, um, I believe it's eight sacks if you credit the, the two half sacks at the beginning of the year. So, um, you know, two more sacks and he will tie Jason Taylor's record of uh in 2002 of eight consecutive so i mean that just tells you how well emmanuel agba's playing i mean i don't know if that's you know if they can get this done but that would be an incredible feat and then we talked about christian wilkins and yes we missed him yes zach sealer stepped up but so did raekwon davis i mean this was a guy that we were waiting to see you know we we said he was an anchor and and you see the talents there and just how massive he is in the middle and how it opens everything up for those guys around him he this was a coming out game for him and just to close the chapter on that secondary you know Xavier Howard fifth interception he is now tied for first with JC Jackson of the New England Patriots and dating back to December 2017 he has 17 interceptions that is first the uh, number two would be uh, 13 so he is first by a, a wide margin that just goes to tell you just how well you know individuals are playing within this defense and you know this is exciting because this is Brian Flores vision it's coming together and they're playing pretty damn good football to go out there and stymie Justin Herbert, which, you know, you can have your opinion on him one way or the other, but we mentioned it on the last podcast. He was playing record-setting football. You know, I don't know that he's had under 300 yards in, in what, how many games, and, and the Dolphins held him under 200. It, it's impressive, and they're getting a job in all three phases of the game. That's certainly the case, and the Dolphins improved to 3-2 and two at home, the Chargers 1-4 and four on the road. And you mentioned Raekwon Davis, seven total tackles on the day. And you didn't really think, like, when you hear someone like Christian Wilkins going out that you don't think about the big numbers, but what you saw is Jason Stobridge had a tackle for a loss. Benito Jones had a tackle for a loss. Each of those guys only had one tackle on the game. But they're just these impact plays that really put the Chargers in bad situations. And you see what the Dolphins are trying to do here, and that is formulate a game plan that puts you just a step ahead of others, especially coaching staffs who, you know, might play a little scared. You saw the Chargers time and time again in third and one and fourth and one or even fourth and short. And the amount of times they just kind of kick the ball away instead of trying something or or putting together some sort of game plan where you can get that extra yard. 
That just put the Dolphins ahead in the down and distance, ahead in terms of special teams. And Josh, we'll jump into the break here, but I want to give you one more opportunity to talk about anyone on the defensive end because, I mean, everybody just seemed to really take turns making a play. You saw after being taken off the COVID-19 list, Kyle Vinoy played. He missed some time, too, with a hip injury. I thought he was actually going to be out for most of the game based on what the announcer said. But, I mean, he came in with five total tackles, a tackle for a loss, a quarterback hit. I mean, just whoever we can kind of sit here and talk about, it's the same thing. They all made a couple tackles. Nobody really had these eye-popping numbers, but a quarterback hit here, a sack there. It just seemed to be the whole team effort where it is a real challenge for an offense to really find, hey, let's zone it out of Mano Agba, make sure he's not the guy because then you have Shaq Lawson on the other side. It just seemed like a really clean, well-balanced effort on the defensive end there to really hold the Chargers to just 21 points. It does, and I mean, I truly don't have anyone that I just want to sit here and talk about because it has been, like you said, this complete effort from everyone. We saw Eric Rowe coming into the stadium. He had those cleats kind of paying homage to that 1972, that no-name defense, and that's exactly what the Dolphins are. You know, they are a no-name defense. People, you know, if you sat there and took the pictures of the Dolphins players and put them out in, you know, in a lineup or played guess who with them, people would not know who the hell half these players are, and that's awesome. You know, these are young players. These are young, hungry players that realize that if they put in their work, if they prepare week in and week out, when their opportunity is called, they go out there and make the most of it, they will get those opportunities moving forward, and we continue to see it. I do need to say this and I need to say it now. Emmanuel Agba, he needs to be re-signed and he needs to re-sign, mm-hmm. be re-signed ASAP and Zach Sealer needs to be re-signed. Get him out of that mobile home. Get him into a nice freaking South Florida. <laughs> get him a nice white suit. I mean, this guy is the real deal and he's going to be part of that defensive line. I mean, we all like Devon Godshaw. We all you know, thought he was a very good player, but he is a free agent this year. You got Raekwon Davis, you got Christian Wilkins, you got Zach Sealer. I mean, that's that defensive tackle spot moving forward. And then you got guys like Benito Jones and Strober stepping up. I mean, we, we could sit here and talk all day about this defense and how well they're playing, but it's credit to Josh Boyd, it's credit to Brian Flores, and it's a credit to these players for putting in the time, and they're seeing it pay dividends. And it's so exciting because, again, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it we're blue in the face. This is year halfway through year two of a Brian Flores rebuild. I mean, this is exciting. This is awesome to see all the hard work finally paying off and to see this Dolphins team more than in the hunt, like we continue to say. Yeah, and th- let's talk about this for a second because you mentioned re-signing someone like Agba and you mentioned someone like Godshaw, who at the beginning of the year, um, he was kind of asked some difficult questions that I, I didn't think were really fair in terms of uh, his contract and if he felt slighted if, if the Dolphins not giving him a contract uh, was disrespectful and things like that. And, you know, we could go into that whole issue in itself, but the Dolphins are making these guys who I, I like to think about it as like Jabal Sheard with the New England Patriots a couple of years ago was like top five in the league in sacks, and then they just let him walk. The thing I, I'm concerned about when we talk about, hey, we got to send these guys now is – the issue we had with Andre Branch a couple of years ago, and, and I joke that he kind of turned it into a pyramid scheme. Someone like Agba has been awesome. He's been dominant, and anytime you're talked about in the term in the same sentence as Jason Taylor or Cameron Wake, as he has been all year, um, is certainly this huge honor, I guess. That's, that's probably the best way I can say it. But I, I'm kind of nervous talking about new contracts and things like that because, I mean, I think this is just the way they're all performing I'm not saying anybody could step into the defensive end role that Agba has and really be that guy, but I don't know. I just think that we're we're jumping too far ahead. The second you bring up that C word in contract, I, I'm just I, I'd like to see how much of this has to do with the Brian Flores system with all these other guys really getting involved. Yeah, and that's fair. And let's be honest, you've been hurt in the past, and we all have. So we we are a little. <laughs> 
hesitant to give these guys. But, you know, you look at what they did last year, and this team, I, I don't know where they where they stand now, but, I mean, they were three sacks away from surpassing what they did last year. And Emmanuel Agba, you know, he has eight sacks already. Taco Charlton led the team with five last year. So, yes, I think that it is a schematic thing, and I think that is why they don't go after the Jadavian Clowney. That is why they didn't trade for Yannick Nagaku, why they didn't make some of these moves, because it is a schematic thing. But I think when you got a guy like Emmanuel Agba, who, you know, he was a Absolutely. he was a high prospect. You know, people thought the world of him, and the biggest thing for him was injury and, you know, not getting those opportunities. I think now is the time, and I think the Dolphins, you know, you got to you gotta tip your hat to what Chris Greer and them have done because this reminds you of those low-risk, high-rewards. Like, you know, like we've seen with Ted Karras, and like we saw with um, – Eric Rowe, and, and you know, you can see her name player after player of these guys that they, they took this chance on. I think, you know, Emmanuel Agaba's best football is ahead of him, and I think Zach Sealer, I mean, this guy was claimed off waivers. I mean, I don't know exactly what his contract is, but I think, you know, he'd be pretty damn happy to get anything more than what he's making, and for how valuable he's been to this team, and how valuable I do think he is moving forward. Again, these guys are both young, so I do think that it is a thing. Temporary expectations. Let's wait. Let's at least let this season play out before we start talking contracts, but, you know, as soon as we start to, have these guys at the top of the line, because I do think they they are huge playmakers in this defense, and again, their best football is only ahead. You're you're 100% right, and I'm not saying Agba isn't worth it. I I just after you know all the contracts, yeah. whether it's the the Ellerbees, the Wallaces, the Andre <laughs> yeah. Branch getting the contract extension, and and that's kind of what been we a saw lot with worse. the. Yeah, I mean, you're 100 percent right. Yeah, we've had a lot more misses and hits, so I completely understand. And it, it's just kind of cool we're sitting here and we'll wrap up our conversation about the Dolphins' defense here with this. I mean, you hold the Chargers scoreless in that first half, and and we're gonna get into special teams after the break. Excuse me, first quarter you hold them scoreless, and then seven points in each quarter after that. I mean, that's just winning football. You you. When did you hear Keenan Allen's name? Yes, he scored that touchdown late, but I mean, three receptions on seven targets for 39 yards. If I, I mean, Josh, we've been putting together content for years. I mean, we were nervous about a Kalen Balaj revenge game. We knew that that was in the realm of possibilities, despite his struggles. I mean, they even did a huge graphic during the broadcast about how the last time the Dolphins had a 100-yard rusher, it was Kalen Balaj during that game against the Vikings where everyone kind of fell in love with him because of that big run. I think it was 80-something yards. But we're not talking about that. He only he had 18 carries for 68 yards, obviously not bad. But the Dolphins' defense did everything they could to, to really contain this offense and get, you know, they they showed that Kalen Balaj getting three yards a carry, four yards a carry, that's fine. That wastes clock. You know, that's something that these guys really think long and hard about. The fact that I think there was one drive uh, to start the second quarter, the Chargers got seven points, and it was a lot of blodge running the football, but the Chargers came back out on their next offensive possession, and, and that same running game didn't work. You know, you can only do it for so long. The Dolphins' defense, I think, just did a really good job of keeping the Chargers responsible of running down the field seven to ten plays at a time, and even if you whether it's a rookie quarterback in Herbert or whether it's something like Jared Goff you saw a couple weeks ago, you're going to make mistakes. The Dolphins' defense forces these mistakes over, you know, seven or eight opportunities on a drive, and they force you to kind of be perfect. Absolutely, and I think that goes back to, you know, jumping out to that early start because it didn't really allow them to run the ball as much as they had liked. You mentioned the 18 carries for 60 yards. He also led the team in reception. So, Kalen Balazs, <laughs> you know, he got a little bit out there, but – uh, I, I love what the Dolphins defense did and how they rallied and again how they all came together without Christian Wilkins. That wraps up 15 straight weeks with the Miami Dolphins takeaway. Let's take a quick commercial break and on the other side we'll jump into both special teams and offense for Miami's 29-21 win over the Los Angeles Chargers. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Josh, we, we kind of spoke about it last week in our show in terms of DVOA, football outsiders, their kind of statistic that really breaks away from all the, the, the jumble. They actually had the Dolphins as one of the worst teams in the NFL uh, in the 2016 season. Uh, so when we look at that kind of stat, I know Dolphin fans are a little slighted, but they kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of special teams here for the Miami Dolphins and the Los Angeles Chargers because we spoke about it, how the Dolphins entered this week with the second-best DVOA in all of football in terms of special teams, and the Chargers were dead last. And let's just walk through the first three possessions here that really set up the Dolphins and set the tone for this whole game, especially having a rookie quarterback. Block punt. You know, we kind of wish the Dolphins would have rolled in for a touchdown. That one, Andrew Vigginkel continues to be off. awesome. Then the Dolphins are going for a field goal on their next possession, and a Chargers defensive lineman is offsides. They end up scoring a touchdown on that drive. And then the Chargers go to punt it away on their next drive, and a f- they had a false start. And then if we want to take it a step farther, you had Matt Collins literally shove a gunner into the returner's face. And, and someone wanted to throw a penalty on that. He just kind of imposed his will, was acting kind of, <laughs> I want to say mean. I think that's the best way to describe it. He was, he was a bully. Bullying. Yeah. And then there was also the time Matt Collins also ran it, all, almost ran into the end zone recovering a punt and kind of had to look at himself and say, dude, come on, that shouldn't have been that close. Yet the Dolphins still pinned the Chargers within the, within the five-yard line. I mean, special teams, man, we, we, we hit on it in the previews. They were, they were the difference maker yesterday. They really were, and you know, we all know Jason Sanders. His twenty-two, what he had, twenty-two straight, right? I think the streak right. came to it, came to an end. He's now on a one-game field goal streak. Matt Hawkins. I, I do love that Matt Collins. I I remember what you're saying. He bullied the guy and just threw him into his own player, and then kind of did the Conor McGregor, you know, walk off the walk off the side. It was like side. he smacked someone. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry. I mean, we're seeing it week after week. We're starting to just love what he's doing out there. But I mean, the special teams unit is playing as advertised, and you got to tip your hat to. Danny Crossman and what he's done. And of course, Jakeem Grant. I mean, we talked about it. It's more than just the return yards and those things. But what Jakeem Grant has done to the punt, to, you know, to both kicking games is, has been what we've expected. And I don't want to say that he was, you know, a little bit inconsistent early on, or, you know, he really wasn't that reliable return man that we wanted him to be. But now, I mean, it feels like every time he gets the ball in his hands, you know, something magic happens. And, you know, if it's not there, he does you know, he, he does realize that he's either going to take the take the kneel and bring the ball out or he's going to call for fair catch. So tip your hat to this entire unit, whether it be, you know, those gunners, those guys making the blocks, Andrew Van Ginkle making, you know, coming in. And they even said that they kind of drew that up and had that design sense camp. Total team effort. And you just love to see it whenever you can get a block punt, uh, you know, after you're getting ready to get the charges, go three and out and then pound it in from the one yard line. You know, that's going to be a good day of football. You know, my dad. I uh, was kind of disappointed because when the Patriots drafted Chase Winovich, he was he was a little disappointed that the Dolphins wouldn't have somebody just running around with that long blonde hair uh, flowing out of the helmet. But it, here comes Andrew Van Ginkle to answer that call. I yep. mean, what this guy does week in and week out, 
has been absolutely incredible. I think we saw that there was a potential of him being one of those guys who can maybe make a play here or there, but every single week this guy is coming out and putting this team in a better position this week with a blocked punt. It's just been absolutely incredible. And Jakeem Grant, I, I hit on it on the top for a quick minute, but this was a guy after a couple weeks we were kind of done with. We didn't know if he actually had a spot on this team. There were questionable returns. He wasn't that involved on the offense. But, I mean, how quickly that has changed with what the Dolphins have been doing. He had three punt returns on Sunday for 57 yards. His long is 20, and that math makes it really easy. His average was 19, and his low was 18. It's really simple math for us. So thank you, Jakeem. And let's just transition to, into the offense from there because Jakeem Grant, he had the most receptions of any receiver for the Dolphins. Four receptions, 43 yards on five targets, including a touchdown in that second drive to really get the Dolphins that big advantage. Josh, who really stood out to you on that side of the ball for the for the uh, home team? Much like the defense and, you know, even special teams. It was kind of a group effort here. And we mentioned Jakeem Grant on the last podcast needing to step up. He absolutely did. And you even saw some of these other guys, like a Malcolm Perry. He stepped up. Mm-hmm. We saw Mike Jasicki get a little bit more involved. He got five targets. And Devontae Parker, I mean, he almost had one of the most spectacular catches we may have ever seen. So, I mean, this offense is slowly starting to come together. You're seeing the next man up mentality. But Jakeem Grant, I mean, he said it on his press conference at his presser last night and he continues this like I was saying I'm a wide receiver before a returner my number was called today that's what I did I went out there and showed them I'm not just a returner I'm a receiver too I'm the total package and he continues to you know praise the chemistry that he's building with Tua um, you know they've had it since camp and I think he's going to slowly become more and more unleashed but for me it's just the way the entire offense and those receivers stepped up in the absence of Preston Williams you know needing to step up and make those plays to to counter what the Chargers were capable of obviously they didn't need to be that much of a high octane offense as we may have thought but uh, they went out there and they they made some plays in critical moments to uh, obviously get the W. Critical moments is so important because I think coming into this game after knowing that the team is going to be without Preston Williams for, I mean, pick a week. I I don't know how long he's going to be out at this point. But when you kind of look at this box score without looking at the final score, Mike Jusecki, two of five, he was targeted five times. I think there were a couple plays with him where, you know, I think Jusecki missed out on catching a couple of balls, or at least he'll certainly tell you that. And then Devontae Parker, two for seven. That's something we kind of made gripes about with Preston Williams for all this time that, hey, you need to take advantage of those targets that are in front of you. But Devontae Parker, I think one ball went through his hands, but he and he almost had that incredible catch in the end zone, the one-handed. I mean, a week after the team the Dolphins face get the, get the shin rule, I, I don't know when that became a thing. We saw it like three times in the matter of two weeks, and all of a sudden the Dolphins can't get the shin rule just to give Devontae Parker the best catch of probably the season. I mean, that would have been something else. And then Jakeem Grant, who caught four or five targets, it's worth noting that fifth target came on an incredible escape from Tua, and I try not to use hyperbole when I'm talking about Tua, but this was a legitimate, he squirmed away from new defenders, lobbed it up, gave Jakeem Grant, it was like a third and nine Right on the goal line, it was just out of his reach. Josh, we'd be going bananas right now if that was a completion. But either way, the Dolphins' offense, I think it's kind of cool to see them find ways to do enough to win, even though the numbers might not look pretty. 
And that, I mean, that's what they're doing. And again, it, it, you don't want to say they took their foot off the gas in the second half a little bit, but you know, they didn't, they realized mm-hmm. at what position they were in and they needed to run the football and grind that clock out. And you mentioned that Jakeem Grant, I mean, how awesome was that? That I mean, Tua has to have eyes in the back of his head, right? I mean, the way that's, he shook yeah. that guy off. And then if he would, if he would have hit that, I mean, that would have been the most, I mean, that's all we'd be talking about. You're absolutely right. But we didn't even talk about the run game and you have to tip your head to Salvin Ahmad. And well, I let's don't... do that. Let's talk about that run game. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I don't, I don't want to sit here. Uh, are we saying his name wrong? That's what I want to know because they. Kept I think it's saying, Ahmed. Ahmed. Okay, they Salvan kept saying Ahmed. Ahmed. Okay, so Savan Ahmed, he had 21 carries, 85 yards, four yards per carry, and then he had that touchdown um, after that blocked punt. But to me, I mean, he did enough, and it's kind of that same Miles Gaskin thing. You don't want to say you want to see more out of this run game because they are go. You know, they have 111 yards on the ground. I mean, who's going to be upset with that? I, I, mm-hmm. Is it just the fantasy players in us that sit there and see this and, and want that, that running back that has, you know, the 150 yards every single week, it might be time for us to all just sit here and realize, you know, this is going to be that new England type backfield and it's going to be, uh, you know, every week, whoever goes out there and, and seems to be running the ball effectively is going to get those opportunities moving forward. Miles Gaskin and Salvin Ahmad, we know, or Ahmed, we know they were teammates in college. They're now teammates at the Miami Dolphins. Is this the future? You know, could this be two guys that are in this backfield long term? I don't know, but we're starting to see these different guys get more involved. Malcolm Perry had a carry in that Wildcat. Patrick Laird had two carries for 19 yards. And DeAndre Washington was out there. You know, we saw him make some plays. It wasn't Antonio Callaway. You know, everyone wanted to see Antonio Callaway in the passing game. We didn't get to see him yet, maybe next week, but Washington uh, did carry the football two times for two yards, so he probably will see his role expand and move forward. Biggest note here, though, no Jordan Howard. No Jordan Howard. Yeah, and that's why I think it's so hard. To, you mentioned, is this going to be the running back group moving forward? I think the better way to like question this is, is this worthy of being the running back duo for the year, whether it's Miles Gaskin and Sylvan Ahmed. And what I really saw out of him is just somebody who's going to get up and go. This is the best the running game has looked all year for the Miami Dolphins. Averaging four yards is just something we haven't seen too often from the Miami Dolphins. It, it's a good feeling when, you know, you block a punt first play from, uh, granted it was the two-yard line, but we know that, you know, the Bills game, you look back to that, the Dolphins struggled at the two-yard line. You give it to Ahmed. Ahmed, excuse me, and he was able to just kind of pound it in, get that touchdown, and he was able to get, it seemed at times, seven or eight yards per snap, which is so impressive when you have a rookie quarterback there as well, a rookie running back who's getting his first career start that can really move the crew around, which is great to see. And Josh, Patrick Laird, your boy over here, he had a big third down run, and I do want to say the one thing I maybe wasn't a huge fan of, there were a couple drives, the Dolphins' offense really seemed to stall. Uh, there was one they ran it three straight times, they kept kept the ball out of Tua's hands, I wasn't a fan of that. And then they tried to get DeAndre Washington involved in the second half, he had two carries for two yards uh, on a drive, I think that was in the middle of the third quarter, maybe early fourth quarter. I think there they were just trying to see what they had in him, but I mean... Savan Ahmed has to be the guy moving forward based on these 21 carries for 85 yards. And even, I mean, I looked at his stats here, that one reception, I was kind of scratching my head because it was one reception for five yards. I thought he was pretty great in the passing game. I thought he laid out some good blocks, and that one reception was good for a first down. He had to bobble it a little bit, but, I mean, made the most of it. That's what you love to see because last week, I mean— 
one of the first questions that Flores was asked was about Ahmed. And, you know, he mentioned how he had a, he looked good, but he also mentioned how he was a liability in coverage and how he missed a block here and there. So it was nice to see that change. And we have to tip our hat. I mean, we didn't even mention it. Cheek, Solomon Kinley, he was at fullback yes. on that, on that touchdown run. So, I mean, it was nice to see him just obliterate a linebacker or defender um, on his way for that touchdown. But they need to let Tua cook. You mentioned some of these drives stalling. Why the heck are they taking the ball out of his hands? I mean, you see what he does when it's in his hands. Mm-hmm. Let this man throw the football. There's no reason why you're running the ball, no matter what the score, three straight times. I mean, that to me is just, you know, way too conservative. When you're the Miami Dolphins, when you're trying to, you know, win these consistent games and go out there and, you know, not revert back to what we were known for, you got you to gotta keep your foot on the gas. It works. It continues to work. So, you know, maybe maybe we're wrong. Maybe maybe they, they should continue to do what they they're doing but at some point i feel like it's gonna bite him i'm not gonna get too on chan gailey just yet because i think it is uh part of it is just letting tua get comfortable every snap he's getting a little bit better um there was one play it was on a second and eight i believe uh it's 7 15 left in the first quarter uh he has a seven game seven yard gain over the middle set to Salvan ahmed they were doing a rollout tua looked really clean doing it but he pulled the ball back and he threw it to jaseki about 15 to 18 yards down the field for a catch, kind of move the ball forward. I thought that was a really nice play and worth pointing out because these are the type of things you're going to see as he continues to get more comfortable. That's, I think, where a lot of the hype around the Miami Dolphins is starting to come from is the fact that I don't think Tua's playing at the level when we can say Tua has arrived. I don't think he's there. I mean, obviously, we shouldn't expect him to be there in just his third start, but we're starting to see him get to be more and more comfortable and anything that happens in this time as he's getting adjusted to that NFL level is just gravy. It is just something really exciting to see from this offense. Uh, Malcolm Perry is starting to get really involved. You mentioned the Wildcat game where he had to dance around the defense. He squirmed through. He ended up getting five yards on a play that looked like it was going to lose five. He also had two receptions for 21 yards. He caught both of the targets that came his way. And Josh, I want to end this day talking about Brian Flores as a coach of the year candidate, but I do want to mention before we do that, Chan Gailey copied Brian Flores in wearing a vest. I think we need to start thinking of an icon or some sort of symbol for the Miami Dolphins offense and it needs, or Miami Dolphins, I don't know why I said offense, the team as a whole, and it needs to involve a vest. Chan Gailey was wearing one. Brian Flores has worn one. I don't know if this is right, but I'm going to say in every single game he's coached the Miami Dolphins and he looks like a badass in it. We need to figure out some sort of brand that revolves around the vest. Uh, you got the hoodie that. in New England. We need the vest in Miami. I'm good with that because Stone Cold Steve Austin always wore the vest. And, <laughs> yes. and that's that's what Stone Cold is. Stone Cold Brian Flores. But before we get into him being coach of the year, and I mean, I think the only person at this point that you can truly contend with him is Mike Tomlin. Um we got to finish up the offense, and I do. I know. I know that I feel like I'm kind of that cheerleader for Tua. So I do want to say, you know, he did make some mistakes. You know, he did try to force that ball to Devontae Parker in the end zone that you know could have been picked because mm-hmm. there were two two defenders there. Uh, we saw the one that went right through the guy's hand on that drop and linebacker, which those are the exact same way that Tua made those mistakes in college. But 
the, they weren't picked. You know, that ball had too too much velocity, went right through his freaking well, hands. You know, it must have been it must have been coming from that left hand that he just couldn't catch it. But um, you know, it wasn't all perfect. But you just love to see how poised, calm, collected he is. How this offense is starting to open up, and he is starting to build. You know, chemistry with some of these guys, and that's what's so exciting. I mean, you see the back shoulder throws. You saw the ball that was low at his feet. Another bad uh, snap from Ted Karras, where he just you know picked it up, didn't panic, and just threw a perfect pass to Devontae Parker. Went up there and made an awesome catch. Mm-hmm. I mean. Uh, those are things that you don't teach, and I you can't say two has arrived. But you know, you see the tweets, and you see these different images week in and week out, and you see Good Morning Football and the different, you know, uh, NFL Live. That's all they're talking about is Tua. The Tua mania is real. He hasn't arrived yet, but I think you know this early in his career, what we're seeing, uh, the numbers don't matter. They're three and zero, and it's so exciting because he's only going to get better. And what that means for this offense and this team is truly exciting. And so we'll, we'll talk coach of the year, but for the people out there saying, why are you talking Jason Sanders? Jason Sanders was two, two for three on the day. We're not going to talk about his missed kick just for the fact that, you know, some people might have been concerned. Oh, you know, once he misses a kick, maybe that will start a downward spiral. The next one went, went straight through the middle. Jason Sanders is absolutely awesome. Um, and we're just not going to waste their time talking about something that is just so perfect because... Somebody send him a flower basket. Somebody send him a brand new contract because Jason Sanders is the best kicker in football. And that's about that. So, Josh, let's do it. Brian Flores, what we need to see for him to be coach of the year the rest of the way. Obviously, six and three. Um, I'm kind of with everything, the way things are unfolding. Dolphins, I will be happy with 10 and six. We can sit here and argue that we could think they could be better. But no coach has won coach of the year with a record of 10 and 6 since 2009 that was Marvin Lewis of the Cincinnati Bagels Sean Payton did the same thing in 2006 you think back to Hurricane Katrina that was the year following that so it was teams really overcoming uh difficult times that really brought a team together that's what we see for a coach to go 10 and 6 uh, Jimmy Johnson won coach of the year going 7 and 9 in 1990 Sean McVay won it 2 years ago 11 going 11 and 5 It just really depends on the story that we're trying to tell here. But with the Dolphins going from one of the most worst, one of the most worst, yes, I'm going with that. One of the worst defenses in the league last year from how poorly the team started. Going to this year, a potential playoff team, whatever national outlet you want to listen to, they're all talking about the Dolphins. They kind of see them as that seventh playoff team. Who knows? Let's let's fight the world. We saw the Bills lose yesterday. Let's shoot for that AFC East title, but... Josh, for the sake of this argument, what would you need to see out of the Dolphins this year for them to be, for you to be really comfortable at Flores deserving Coach of the Year uh, acknowledgement? I guess. I mean, as a Dolphins fan, I mean, it's easy for us to sit here and say, you know, they could finish eight and eight, and you could still make a, you know, you could still hey. make a case as to why he you know, deserves that. But I think they need to make the playoffs and I think they have every, you know, opportunity to do so. And then you can take it one step further. And again, they're a half game behind Buffalo. That week 17 game is going to be so freaking juicy. I cannot wait to see, you know, I hope it's for all the marbles and, you know, hopefully, hopefully the Dolphins can beat the Bills and somehow completely eliminate them. That, that would be epic. But, um, for me, I just want to see them continue to get better each week like they've done and to hopefully make the playoffs. I think once they make the playoffs at that point, you know, that is when Brian Flores 
to the national media as a legit candidate. But I think what he's done so far, if you even take it back to, you know, all the hype surrounding the tanking for Tua and, you know, these players are going out there and trying to lose and all the bull crap that he had to deal with last season. And then just the things that he's overcoming this year, you know, with COVID. And, you know, last week he was without five coaches. I'm not entirely sure how many coaches he might have been without this week, but it's just the next man up mentality. And they're and yeah, and then and to remember, just what three weeks ago, all the media was just bitching about his decision to to go to Ryan Fitzpatrick, and now those are the same guys, you know, posting these graphics about how awesome Tua is. So <laughs> yeah, at some point, you just gotta realize Brian Flores. We can sit here and we can question him, and people can sit here and doubt what he's doing, but this man is building something special, and he knows what he's doing. And like you said, we're gonna ride or die with him until the end of days. That's exactly it, and I think. What makes his job or his case for coach of the year so easy is what makes our job a little more challenging is the fact that every week we need to make sure we talk about, hey, Jason Sanders and Jakeem Grant were absolutely awesome on special teams. So was Matt Collins. So was uh, Matt Hawk. And then you go to the defensive end. Hey, we got a blocked punt. Hey, Xavier Howard had an interception. Then you go to the offense. Jakeen Grant is really stepping up. He had a touchdown. Hey, all the tight ends are making sure they're making a case that we belong on this roster. We can score touchdowns. We can make catches when needed. This team, from offense to defense to special teams, it just looks so good. And that is just so impressive after what we saw from last year. And that's why I had to chuckle. Granted, it resulted in a fumble and the Chargers scoring seven points on the other end. I didn't think it would go from, you know, a complete disaster, uh, you know, a complete rebuild too. We can out beat, we can outplay teams in all three aspects of football. And that's just been such a treat to watch. That's basically going to wrap up my soapbox. I'm sorry if that sounded a bit homerish, but that's kind of where the Dolphins are right now as they sit with a record of six and three. They've won five straight games. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Leave a review on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you're listening to your podcast. Send that our way on Twitter at jmendel94 or at H-O-U-T-Z for Houts, and you'll be entered to win a free Solomon Kinley jersey. Josh, you put up the crying Jordan picture of Justin Herbert and Tua over here. It's already going, going a little nuts on Twitter. I love to see it, Josh. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at H-O-U-T-Z. The Dolphins are 6-3. and three. Be sure to tune in for us later this week as we have our preview show as the Dolphins prepare to travel west to face the Broncos. Real quick, real quick, before we let you go, according to Adam Schefter of ESPN, the Miami Dolphins have waived veteran running back Jordan Howard. I don't expect the team to claim him, but I guess stranger things have happened. But Jordan Howard is no longer a Miami Dolphin. That's all I got for you guys. Fins up. Fins up, baby. Let Tua cook. Go Dolphins. That was Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, because we're the Miami Dolphins.
the greatest football team. We train the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, cause we're the Miami Dolphins.